Welcome to Packet Pushers Heavy Network. In today's sponsored show, we're diving into the latest features from Pluribus Networks. Now, in previous episodes with uh, Pluribus, we've covered how NetVisor is a data center fabric using open switch hardware with their uniquely different distributed SDN platform. And that controller in our previous episode, we talked a lot about the layer two data center interconnect features. And today we are in some senses to continuing that discussion, but extending it into the layer three and the application networking features. Now, Pluribus recently announced a, a feature called the Kube Tracker. Now, of course, Kubernetes is the very latest fashion in enterprise IT and everybody wants one. But ownerships comes with, uh, shall we say, special needs to keep it working. And Kube Tracker is a tool from Pluribus Networks, which integrates with the controller, the Kube API, and so that we can start to know where the containers and services are located in your data center fabric. And then when we combine that with the new flow tracker and the packet broker features, you start to get a data center network that would make off-premise cloud somewhat jealous. And I mean that. So today it's a show about combining the software controller features with the functionality of your hardware switches that give you visibility and logging and operational functions, especially in the Kubernetes environment, but more generally as well. All of these features work independently, but particularly today we're going to be focusing on the cooperative story. Joining me today is Alessandro Barbieri. He is the VP of Product Management with Pluribus. Let's dive right into opening this box of fun. Alessandro, in the last show, we talked a lot about L2 DCI. Today, what we want to focus on very quickly is the fact that the NetVisor product, the NetVisor operating system and the, and the adaptive cloud fabric also does layer three services, just like normal networks do. Give me an overview of how that works in the Pluribus way. First of all, thank you for having me, Greg. Uh, nice to, to be here with you again to talk about NetVisor and the Pluribus fabric. So regarding the layer three services and the layer three segmentation services, Pluribus has made a lot of investment for cloud deployment. The way it works is actually extremely simple. We use the distributed cloud or distributed operating system control plane effectively abstract the physical network. So you don't have to bother with programming underlay and overlay protocol. Imagine like you're opening the console of AWS. What you do is create your VPC object and then inside the VPC, you create your subnets and your gateways and your services. The pluribus overlay and underlay pretty much operates like that. So completely abstraction of the physical layer. You don't have to deal with individual boxes. You don't have to de deal with individual box programming. You just focus on the network objects that you want to program. And then the fabric takes care of distributing through this control plane. The fabric control plane distributes the programming in the hardware of VRFs, subnets, gateways, mm. uh, policies, and things of this nature. So the way the Pluribus fabric works is approximately equivalent to how EVPN works. You don't use EVPN per se, but do you interoperate with EVPN? So if I've got the Pluribus uh, adaptive cloud fabric in my network, can I cooperate with, say, another EVPN fabric? Yeah, you made a correct statement. Inside the fabric, we use the SDN control plane of the fabric to accomplish similar functionalities to BGP VPN. However, we also have extended the fabric control plane to be fully interoperable with the BGP EVPN. 
And the elegance of the pluribus approach is that uh, we want to stay true to sort of the philosophy of the fabric, which is uh, you don't have to be an expert in protocol programming. So we actually automate uh, the programming of BGP VPN. And normally mm -hmm. you have a, a gateway feature, a gateway function sitting on a pair of border leaf switches. Mm -hmm. And they actually do the translation between the fabric control plane and the BGP VPN control plane completely transparently uh, from the end user. Now, there's multiple types of VPN in the world, and they're not necessarily compatible or interoperable. Are you able to, you know, flex to me the different types of eVPN that exist in the world today? Yeah, so in terms of a uh, type of routes that can be exchanged, uh, we support type 3 and type 5 routes uh, as we are uh, today. We mm. do normally interoperability in our labs with the three vendors, um, if I can name them, they are Cisco, they are Arista, and they are uh, Juniper. Mm -hmm. And we can actually interoperate at layer two and layer three with uh, these three vendors. Everybody wants that these yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. VPN is mostly an interoperability tool for Pluribus to open up mm -hmm. the network overlay to third-party fabric. So really, this we go through a rigorous uh, QA process uh, to interoperate with these three vendors. Now... When we talk about a layer three overlay, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we do in eVPN type fabrics like inter-VRF routing, route leaking, service verfs. Does the Pluribus fabric support all the features that I might expect? But let's take those three as examples. Are you, you support those types of things? Yeah, indeed. Uh, we, we have a very rich uh, feature set. So we can actually do inter-VRF routing where uh, every uh, leaf uh, switch uh, where you run uh, your overlay is capable of doing routing and bridging on the same leaf for uh, traffic within the same tenant or within the same VRF. Mm. But we also have ways through, again, another object-oriented programming, so which doesn't require you to uh, mess up or mess around with route distinguish and route targets to support multi-tenancy in an EVPN environment. We also have the ability to uh, share traffic and do uh, and create a routing policies inter VRF, inter tenant. Mm. We can actually do also service chaining. We actually built a significant level of abstraction for this sophisticated function beyond the basic uh, um, route exchange uh, at layer two or layer three. Yeah. And that's important because that idea of the overlay, having these micro segments that you sit in the overlay, isn't just isolated. It's so that you can communicate between them and you want to be able to control. You don't always want to have a firewall between microsegments. Sometimes you want to leak traffic. Like the classic one that I think of is like a services segment where you have like DNS and firewalls. And you don't you want to be able to say all of the microsegments can access this shared VRF so that I can then share the services in that section. Absolutely. This is actually a classic example. Uh, you create a sort of a, a VRF to share services across all the tenant VRFs. So mm. we can actually build... A, uh, logical hierarchical topologies between VRFs and you can dedicate a VRFs to services and these VRFs can be promiscuous in the sense it can share all its subnet while the tenant VRFs do not communicate among each other. This kind of policy is extremely simple and fully abstracted uh, uh, through the pluribus uh, fabric objects. Uh, and that's exactly what we do. And this mm. is exactly what is needed in any private cloud um, environment. Well, especially in private clouds, you have shared services. It's not like every tenant is completely isolated. You might have, exactly. you know, the Oracle database over here, and then over here is a website, and over here is a line of business. You want to allow communication. There needs to be some sort of east-west. Most eVPNs allow you to do some route leaking, but does the 
Pluribus Fabric actually let me control what traffic can go east-west? Yeah, absolutely. With Pluribus, uh, we can uh, control exactly the route leaking uh, policies, which subnets are leaked into which direction. We also have... Uh, uh, the ability to use uh, EVPN-like functionalities to do route filtering. So you can build sort of route maps to define the scope of a certain subnet and certain prefix, how they flow through through the fabric east-west. And of course, one of the things that's emerging as we build, so using these types of EVPN or of these VRFs functionality is we start to get into service chaining. That is, I want to have the ability to chain services together, like uh, firewalls here, inspection engines here. And it's very popular for people to build those up, especially for the front-end firewall clusters where there's many isolated segments in the security layers. Um, do you have features that support that concept of service chaining? Yeah, we have uh, specifically an overlay feature, an overlay entity object uh, of the fabric called Ver Service Group, which allows you to effectively concatenate uh, services and define the classes of traffic that needs to flow through this chain of services. This is all done at the network overlay. Mm without any reprogramming of protocol or PBR type of rules uh, or wasting any VLAN to do any sort of a, um, traditional chain in, um, in, a, in a cloud environment. So again, uh, everything is programmed through the overlay, even the service chaining function in a fully distributed fashion with the one command uh, across multiple multiple switches participating to the fabric. And the unique thing here is that you're actually using hardware acceleration to do this. You're not doing it in software. You're using the features of the ASIC, of the Broadcom ASIC underneath to deliver those. Yeah, indeed. Um, I, we talked about the Pluribus fabric being a distributed control plane, hmm. but the data plane is actually completely hardware accelerated, uh, leveraging uh, um, the capabilities of uh, uh, Broadcom Silicon, the, the Trident, and the Tomahawk uh, uh, data center uh, data center switches. Yeah, and it's probably worth mentioning that Pluribus uh, NetVisor, which is the operating system that runs on the switches, is open. That is, it can run on any of the approved switches. That is, the, the switches that have the right hardware in them, the right ASIC, the right Broadcom ASIC. And so you could pick up an appropriate switch from an appropriate vendor that meets your needs. Absolutely. The, the, the only precondition is that the switch runs an only bootloader, yeah. It has an x86 CPU and uh, a chipset uh, supported by our software. Right. Now, if people want more information, they can contact you and, and let find out which one of those there are. It comes from branded vendors, in if, whatever you particularly like. One of the questions I wanted to ask is when I was reviewing the notes for the show, I came across this idea of a distributed service policy. It wasn't entirely clear to me what that meant. What is a distributed service policy? So a distributed service policies, uh, I think of it as a, a distributed ACL with the ability to take actions. So what does it mean? So in a policy, there are two components. There's a match component, which allows you to identify the classes of traffic you want to apply the policy on. And then you have a set of actions, right? The set of actions can be drop the traffic, for example, log the traffic, for example, mm -hmm. or you can redirect the traffic, rewrite the MAC address, rewrite the VLANs. You can take a set a number of operations or you can actually mirror the traffic in some other location for monitoring purposes. So a distributed policies allows you to identify classes of traffic and then perform actions on top of it. Why is it distributed? Because with a single command, you can propagate these policies across the entire fabric. Every object, the policy object is called VFlow in Pluribus, uh, and uh, you can create a VFlow with a scope uh, local, which mm -hmm. means uh, it applies to a single device, 
or even with a scope as broad as the entire fabric, say scope fabric, then this rule with one command is deployed across the entire network. So I take it that the Pluribus Adaptive Fabric Controller works out where to put the VFlow rules. So the VFlow rules is like the entry that goes into the forwarding table, which is loaded into the ASIC. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. The VFlow rule is the, the rule that programs the TCAM of the switch. Yes. Right. And that, that entry that goes into the TCAM also defines the actions that happen onto the packet. So if I'm an EVPN and I want to add a tag to that uh, appropriate VXLAN tag or if I'm you know, ejecting a tag and I want to tag as it leaves the pluribus fabric I want to add an MPLS tag or whatever that's the vflow rule that makes that I don't need to know that because the controller works out where to put those for me that's correct like I said the way the controllers or the distributed control plane knows where to put a specific rule is by Number one, specifying the scope of the rule. If you say scope fabric, it means apply the, fab, the scope everywhere. Mm. But you can actually also uh, have a more limited scopes for this command, right? You can uh, bundle or group uh, switches in what we call them switch groups. And then you can apply a rule to uh, with a scope of a switch group, for example. Or you can apply a rule to a local switch, any switch in the fabric. Alessandro, I wanted to ask a, a clarifying question here. Now, the Pluribus Adaptive Cloud Fabric uses an SDN controller type model to program the switches. But the unique thing about that is it's actually distributed. Can you just call out, and we did cover this in previous shows, but can you just call out or explain how the idea of a, a distributed SDN controller works? Absolutely. So the idea is that uh, the controller function, the control plane logic uh, is distributed inside all the switches participating uh, to the fabric architecture. There is no, uh, let's say, cluster of servers hosting uh, the controller. So it's not a traditional external controller model. Rather, the controlling function now is distributed and embedded in all the switches of the fabric. So it's sort of a peer-to-peer symmetric uh, model. It comes from uh, the, the legacy of the original technology comes from distributed databases. And there is a consensus algorithm for these commands to be sort of synchronized across the fabric. And again, we use really a 40-year-old traditional database technology is very proven and very stable to accomplish this distributed controllerless fabric control plane. The thing I really like about this, the reason I ask that question is because a lot of network people find it difficult to get a server to run an SDN controller on, or some SDN solutions require millions of dollars worth of servers to run their SDN controller application on, and you just run it in the switches. Yeah, and I think uh, this actually we are finding with our customers uh, is even more elegant uh, in multi-site uh, solutions where you mm. need to distribute your cloud between uh, two data center or N um, uh, edge locations. Because you don't have a central controller, it's extremely simple to quote-unquote wire in the fabric uh, um, switches distributed, geographically distributed across multiple locations. So it's a huge advantage in yeah. general, mm-hmm. but uh, in the distributed, the geographical distributed environments is a dramatic advantage and simplification. Yeah, you, you don't need a controller, you don't need a special building, it's actually just in the switches. And there's a whole lot of unique use cases for, I could imagine, like if I'm a company that needs 20 or 30 data centers, imagine, right? But maybe I'm not building out 500 or 1,000 servers in each one. Maybe I'm building 50 to 100 servers in each data center to distribute around the world, like a content delivery network. And now all of a sudden I've got this fabric, which is HA, 
all the isolation, micro-segmentation that I would want, but no servers need it. The application to to do the software-controlled networking is actually done inside the switches. I want to move the conversation now along to Cube Tracker, which is a new feature you've just announced in the Pluribus uh, Adaptive Cloud Fabric. Why don't you hit me with the pitch around Cube Tracker, and then we'll try and dive into it. What is Cube Tracker? So Cube Tracker is a service of the Pluribus fabric. The ultimate goal is to accelerate the time it takes it take to root cause any Kubernetes microservices and performance issues and availability issues, accelerate the time to resolution of these issues. The beauty and the elegance and the unique aspects of a cube tracker is that it gives you the full picture. Not only you know what happens inside the Kubernetes cluster as if you were a DevOps person, mm -hmm. um, but you also can correlate the behavior inside the Kubernetes cluster with the behavior inside the network. The unique aspect of a cube tracker, and I think I want to stress this point, is that while there are a plethora of tools to uh, have visibility and insights and monitoring of Kubernetes cluster, none of these tools actually give you the full picture to actually look also into the network. Once a node is running Kubernetes, is handing off the packet to the network, you're just praying that it gets to the other side. And then you can do all your fantastic monitoring. But what if something goes wrong when the packet is on the fabric? Who has the full picture? That's what Kubernetes is trying to do. Mm. So if I try to make sense of this, one of the challenges that enterprise IT faces with Kubernetes is, sure, you get this ability to instantiate containers in pods, and there's a central controller that allocates a container. But in terms of infrastructure, those containers could appear on any one of the servers that's allocated to the Kubernetes pods, right? And you don't know what the IP address is, you don't know what the MAC address is, you don't know what the service is that's running on top of it. And it's just this total lack of situational awareness that causes a whole lot of operational problems. Absolutely, totally. Uh, there are multiple problems associated, or challenges, I should say, mm. associated with deploying a Kubernetes applications on top of a, a physical network of a switching fabric. Mm. So number one, the lifespan of this container, right? Typically, containers can uh, last minutes, maybe hours, but uh, minutes is not uncommon. And uh, when the problem occurs, it's always too late. The, the containers are gone. The pods, the Kubernetes pods are gone. So how can you really troubleshoot what is long gone? Second, you have no idea where a Kubernetes is deploying or distributing this workload. They can be anywhere on any work, on any node, but you cannot locate any single pod. You don't know where they are located. So there's a problem of a lifespan, there's a problem of location, identifying mm. where these containers are, and then you need to associate these containers or pods with specific services and applications. And so how do you know you have a, a thousand containers distributed across 50 microservices, there's one microservice that, that doesn't work, how do you identify exactly those pods that are causing problems for that particular microservice? So KubeTracker is trying to correlate all this information deliver it to the NetOps team, and then the NetOps team knows exactly the location of this pod. They know exactly when they were active in the network. So if they're, if they're dead or they've been killed by the Kubernetes controller, you still have knowledge of where they were connected into the fabric yesterday between 3 and uh, 335. Okay, so I've got a bunch of questions here. So the way that you do this is that your distributed SDN controller, which is inside the switches, 
is then tapping into the Cube API. So inside of the Cube control system, connect to it, and then it streams the changes, what's happening inside the Kubernetes cluster. So now your SDN controller receives those messages and knows where everything is. And then that's got to be integrated with your visibility tooling. So you can say with your monitoring, so the adaptive cloud fabric, something we haven't talked about is it actually tracks what's actually happening and, and knows where things are connected. And so I can now say, oh, so there was something going on at such and such time and you can tell me where the containers were, like which physical port they were on and what they were doing. Is that the idea? Absolutely. That's the idea. And uh, we are also, like you pointed out, this is integrated also with uh, the application flow visibility of mm -hmm. the Pluribus Fabric. So not only we can tell you when and where a container for a particular microservice was at any point in time, but we can also tell you what it was doing because uh, in terms of uh, traffic visibility, in fact, we have uh, our, it's a feature of the Pluribus Fabric, the ability mm. actually to analyze TCP flows coming from uh, pretty much uh, any endpoint. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can actually timestamp these TCP flows. We can correlate now with these TCP flows with specific microservices because now we have this context coming from the Kubernetes API server, and we can actually associate the, an IP address effectively to a specific pod, a specific microservice. So immediately, you know which applications, how the microservices are communicating with each other across the fabric. For example, we may have a, a, a backend pod for a particular microservice not responding, and you may actually see that there's a high number of connection in scene state yeah. or yeah. connection which are getting that. So you have this level of intelligence and visibility. Yeah, I think even simple things like a lot of people use Kubernetes to scale containers. So if I'm doing a, a, a query of some sort and there's a sudden spike of load, well, why don't I just instantiate more containers? And then when I'm, that query is finished, the containers can be... Uh, torn down and then the, the resources are either more available or servers can even be turned off in certain circumstances and not used until the load is needed again. But as you say, after the fact, troubleshooting issues in you know inside the cluster normally requires people to install sidecar, like second containers to, to channel all the traffic through, doubling the processing load or doubling the number of containers, or they put service meshes in, which is fine because, but all you see is what's inside the, the Kubernetes cluster. You don't see the reaction outside of it because the thing I think Pluribus can do for me is that not only can I match up the traffic flows about what's happening inside the container, I can also match it as it goes out to say the shared services segment we talked about or what went off through the firewall because the Pluribus fabric would be connected to the firewalls and see what's going out to the internet as well. Absolutely. I think that that's the absolute key and differentiation. Once the Kubernetes node hands off the traffic or the packet to the switch, because now we have this level of visibility, we can now trace these specific transactions and packets flowing through between pod to pod, east to west or north south. Mm -hmm. We can trace them through the fabric until they get delivered maybe to another Kubernetes pod or mm -hmm. perhaps uh, north south to a gateway to go to to the end destination on the internet. So, the, so I see this as a tool which I which I think of as mean time to innocence. One of the biggest problems in networking is it's not the network. There's so many products out there that try and you know prove it's not the network. But this is really like saying I I can replay the traffic. I can look at it and say like look it wasn't a networking problem, but I can show you where the problem probably was because I've got packet captures. I can see where the containers were. I know which server they were on, and so forth. 
Yeah, and uh, in in order to have, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, And I think uh, I want to stress one more time that the presence or the instrumentation we put with this time machine capability, so to speak, the ability to record or have memory uh, in a Kubernetes environment is even more critical, right? In Mm. in a monolithic application environment, things are pretty static, always connected to the same servers, right? They they may move around rarely, but uh, that's rare. Here is all a come and go very frequently, super distributed, the sprawl of uh, um, uh, pods and and containers is, uh, is actually rather dramatic. So Having time machine and memory is really what enables this tool to really be useful uh, at any meaningful uh, scale of troubleshooting. And it seems to me that one of the key things here would be like in Kubernetes, the concept of a pod and inside the pods, a lot of containers, but those containers would consume a lot of external services. DNS, NTP are the obvious ones, but obviously external databases and so forth. It would also give me visibility into that as well. It's and that's what I was alluding to in the previous section. Is it's this whole end to end. Not everything happens inside of a Kubernetes environment. It always talks out to something else, and that's the hardest part to troubleshoot. Uh, absolutely. So uh, application outages can occur because, uh, let's say, the application perhaps has its own problems. Uh, but uh, um, some of these problems, uh, the source of the root of this problem is, because, is the communication with the infrastructure services. Maybe some, sometimes NTP doesn't work, DSCP doesn't give you an IP address, DNS doesn't resolve uh, a particular um, uh, server or destination, uh, then you have problems. So right. uh, we actually added uh, um, uh, another capability in the latest release um, of Pluribus called Flow Tracker, uh, mm-hmm. which is actually the ability to have visibility into infrastructure services. So we can, uh, with a flow tracker, we can allow the user to decide which infrastructure services they want to monitor, whether it's DNS services, DSCP services, NTP services, uh, or frankly, any other UDP-based or even uh, ICMP protocols can be monitored with this flow tracker tool. But the, the idea is that now we can also correlate Cube tracker information with the flow tracker information. So not only I know all the TCP traffic, HTTP, HTTPS traffic east-west between pods, but I can also know how they interact with the infrastructure devices and infrastructure services you mentioned. Right. So I guess that segues us out of the Cube tracker. Hopefully we've explained to people enough about how Cube Tracker works. Uh, so one thing I wanted to draw out about Cube Tracker is if you're listening, is it's kind of like uh, the functionality that we have with VMware, where a lot of SDN controllers talk to the vCenter and the vCenter API, and especially in environments where they're using dynamic vMotion, uh, the VMs move around the fabric and you don't necessarily know where they are. Is it kind of the same as that idea? Yeah, absolutely. The, the idea and the analogy is very pertinent. And in fact, actually, we have been supporting uh, the vCenter uh, connection visibility for uh, for quite a while However, the nuance of Kubernetes environments is that you really have no control where particular backend pods for a microservice are distributed or attached to the network. In a VM environment, yes, there is vMotion, there are mobility events, but by and large, you have control. It's, it's, it's a semi-static environment mm. yeah, relatively to a Kubernetes environment where pods can come and go. VMs usually last a half an hour or a few days. They might move occasionally, but whereas in That's correct. a Kubernetes environment, yeah. a, a container might be used for 30 seconds before it's torn down. Yes, and that's the challenge, right? Yeah. It's a much more dynamic uh, 
environment uh, and therefore you need uh, different tools uh, and definitely the time machine functionality we have is key. I mean, what would be the IP address of container that existed for 30 minutes, 30 seconds? Do you know? What was its MAC address? How would you how would you trace that, right? And that's the sort of challenges that people are coming up. You alluded to two other features which are in the adaptive cloud fabric, which is Flow Tracker and Packet Broker. So why don't you give me a quick elevated pitch around both of these? Because these are both new features in the adaptive cloud fabric going forward. So explain Flow Tracker and Packet Broker to me. Yeah, absolutely. So Flow Tracker, why Flow Tracker? Just a level set. What we had before the current release uh, 7.0 uh, was the ability to have uh, application level flow telemetry for TCP flows. Every TCP flow is accounted for uh, in the fabric, right? However, we missed the ability to have UDP and ICMP type of flow inspection capability. Right. And uh, the reason is that UDP and ICMP are connectionless uh, protocols, so it's difficult to identify the meaningful packets in a transaction. There, there is no state transaction state changes, um, so we can selectively pick the packets we want in a TCP connection. We can't mm-hmm. monitor every UDP and ICMP packets on a switch. It would easily crash. However, mm-hmm. the beauty is that the latest generation of Broadcom Silicon now has some hardware assistance, which allows Pluribus to see the first packet uh, of any UDP flow, ICMP flow, uh, and then download, uh, leverage the hardware for all the subsequent packets. So we leverage a combination of Broadcom, Trident 3, Trident 4 type of capabilities to give you visibility now into any flow, any application flow, including the infrastructure flows we were discussing before with Kubernetes. Now I know what how the DNS is behaving for any application in the fabric. Right. So and so this is usually done in other places. Sometimes what people are trying to do with flow. Um, analysis or flow telemetry is it has to be ejected from something. And the generation of flow records require, if you do it in a server, it requires a lot of CPU resources. Or if you actually do it in the switch, then the switch actually has to generate, it's usually the CPU that's actually generating the flow records and then ejecting them and creating the packets as well and then generating them to send to some flow collector in the network. But what you're saying, if I just try and play this back to you, is you're actually using the ASIC to actually generate those flow records to feed them into your controller. And you're doing like sampled analytics here as well so that you can do it in your controller on the switches? Yes, we do use hardware assistance. The way it works, you need to program the hardware. So you mm-hmm. need to see the first packet of any transaction. But all after the first packet, uh, there are all the remaining packets of a conversation go through the hardware and uh, all the software has to do every minute or the interval you define, uh, read the telemetry or the metadata associated with each flow. Metadata means from uh, source IP, destination IP, the five tuple, number of packets transmitted, number of bytes transmitted, the duration of the connection and things of this nature. That's the metadata. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to compute this for every packet. When the packet goes to the switch, you leverage the hardware to offload this functionality. So it scales very nicely. And on top of it, it's in every switch of the fabric, right? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. fully distributed. It's not centralized uh, in any particular device. So Alessandro, one of the things that I think we probably haven't drawn out here is that for some people to generate flow records, they use network taps and then feed them in to a server, which then captures all of the packets and then ejects flow records. That's not needed here because we're using ASICs, right? In general, in the observability or monitoring 
world, uh, typically people build uh, a shadow network or a parallel network, uh, which is called a packet broker uh, network. Traffic needs to be uh, sort of uh, diverted from the production fabric uh, into the special or secondary fabric, packet broker fabric, and then you have tools that process the, the, the packets and they extract the same level of flow mm. telemetry. Yeah, yeah. Now what, what we're not, trying to do... It's not a common activity, but it is something that's done, right? Yeah, at, at scale for a certain customer, it is definitely done. This this sort of technology, uh, which leverages the switch nodes uh, to extract the flow telemetry, removes the need for having these external tools that process the traffic, and also uh, as a result, removes the need to have a redundant packet broker fabric infrastructure. Mm. So let's move on to talk about virtualized packet broker because it's actually related to network taps. Now, for those people who don't know, a network tap is a physical device which goes onto the copper or the fiber optic and intercepts it and then duplicates the signaling at the fire layer off to something else. And then the packets are then either recreated or collected or something done. Now, you have introduced a virtual packet broker service into your product. So I can start to avoid this idea of intercepting on the cable and just use the switch as the same sort of idea. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. It's the same uh, uh, kind of idea. And uh, we call it virtualized uh, because now we isolate the packet broker service uh, inside a fabric, which is also running potentially uh, other services. You don't have to do it, but... Uh, mix and match, let's say, regular traffic with packet broker traffic. But we actually now have the ability to mix and match on the same fabric packet broker traffic uh, with uh, regular layer two, layer three routed and switched uh, traffic. And Mm -hmm. we do this through isolating in a different network overlay, the layer one slash packet broker traffic. The the goal here is to consolidate uh, infrastructure and to uh, reduce, uh, uh, remove cost. Definitely, like we said before, flow tracker, the idea is that you probably don't even need a packet broker, but let's be realistic. Uh, You always need uh, high-end tools to do the processing, the analysis. Uh, Maybe there are also security tools that are attached to packet brokers. So this is a technology which is very important uh, in many networks, cannot be eliminated. We're trying to give customers a tool to reduce the cost and and simplify the deployment uh, of this packet broker. Well, what's interesting here is one of the tricks with a lot of people think about span ports. So I sometimes explain this as like a span port in a switch. And normally the way span ports work is you say, I want to capture all the traffic from this port and make a copy of it on this port so I can capture it. And what you're actually relying on there is the functionality of the ASIC inside to duplicate every packet and then to be able to make a copy of it on another port. Now, historically, span ports have been, let's say, 50-50 in my experience. They haven't worked so well uh, a lot of the time because the ASIC didn't have the functionality. Is that saying that the modern Broadcom ASIC does have the functionality we need to be able to say, I want to see that packet, I want to capture it, and I want to echo it here, somewhere else in the network infrastructure. I want to say, I want to pick up these packets, I want to... Um, match them against a particular filter, and then I want to make a copy of them and send them either out of this port to a packet capture engine, or I want to send them over to some other virtual IP address. Is that the sort of idea that I'm talking about? Yeah. So we're not using a standard uh, mirroring or span function on a Broadcom chip, because here we're talking about uh, doing a span, which is fabric-wide. It's uh, potentially even across... uh, uh, across geographies or across uh, multiple uh, locations. So mm. 
we, we're not talking about using uh, the span or mirroring infrastructure of the Broadcom Silicon. Here we're using our network overlay to do filtering, aggregation and replication of, uh, let's say, packet broker uh, style traffic in a separate network overlay, which travels using its own set of tunnels uh, and VNIs or VXLAN IDs uh, on, uh, on the fabric. Um, it's actually, we use software programming and software intelligence to accomplish this sort of layer one filtering, aggregation, replication functionality across mm -hmm. a regular layer three underlay. There's a lot of software involved in this. Right. So you can aggregate any packet in the network, any flow or any traffic type. You can filter it and then replicate it in the network. Just anywhere. Anywhere in the network. So I could say anything on switch one on port 10, make it appear on switch 10 on port 24. You have to think of the entire network as a gigantic switch, effectively. Right where traffic can go from any port to any port without any physical chassis, boundary, or geographic limitation. That's pretty special. Yeah, and that fundamentally is the whole point of the adaptive cloud fabric. Just because I've got two switches or 20 switches, it still all appears as one switch. That's correct. And it doesn't actually matter which geography it is, whether it's and whether it's layer two connected, layer three connected, whether it's 100 kilometers apart or 5,000 kilometers apart, it all still appears as one switch, which is kind of something that is unique in the industry. We still, most SDN solutions think of everything as this site, this LAN, this building, but yours is much more just, it's all one network. That's exactly right. And uh, this goes back to the idea I mentioned at the beginning, that the fabric is just an abstraction of the physical network. That's why we call it cloud fabric, mm. because when you log into a cloud, you don't see the boxes, you don't program protocols. So that's why Pluribus is a cloud fabric. It allows you to have a full abstraction of the physical network. So you're really programming this gigantic uh, distributed switch uh, with simple uh, commands uh, um, for the entire network, exactly like you do in a cloud environment. Oh, well, Alessandro, thanks so much for talking to us today. I think we've pretty much whipped through a, a, probably months of work on Pluribus's part to put these features into the product. Hopefully you found something interesting about today's show. Now, where can you go and find out more about Pluribus Networks? You can go to pluribusnetworks.com. That's P-L-U-R-I-B-U-S networks.com. Now, there's a couple of things we want to tell you before we wrap this up. There's a, a special event coming up on the 16th of March. It's a webinar series called Cloud Networking is Changing for Good on March 16th. If you head over to pluribusnetworks.com slash cloud networking, the link will be in the show notes, of course, over on packetpushers.net, uh, and you'll be able to go there and join up for the event. It'll dive into more detail. So if anything about today's show has attracted your interest or piqued your interest, you could either go to that event on March 16th, pluribusnetworks.com slash cloud networking exactly as it sounds uh, so as we wrap this up for today thanks very much to pluribus networking for being a sponsor thanks for talking about their layer 3 cloud fabric and how their layer 3 fabric works and then also highlighting the cube tracker feature and also the flow tracker and packet broker features and how that comes together kind of got the feeling that if i was a cloud vendor i'd be a little bit jealous of this because it's the sort of features that you would like them to have but they just can't do because of the way that they operate as always thanks so much for listening to us this at the packet pushes i'm greg farrow uh, and thanks to our sponsor today you can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushes.net follow us on twitter as at packet pushes find us on linkedin and rate us on your favorite podcatcher. It would mean so much to us so that we can keep doing to this. And as always, remember that too much networking would never be enough.